rest of you all to invite you to open your Bibles with me to John chapter 21. John chapter 21, verses 1 through 19. This morning we're going to be talking about spiritual renewal as a way of life. You can find John 21 on page 907 if you're using one of the Bibles in the chairs. This morning I would like for us to consider this question together. Who would Peter have been without spiritual renewal? I think there are lots of ways to answer that question, but I'm going to try it in two ways this morning. First, I think he would have been a man out of touch with himself and also a man out of touch with his Savior. With that said, please stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word. If you're not able to stand, please stand with us in your hearts. Rather than reading the entire passage, I'm going to be starting at verse 15. It will also be on the screen if you'd like to follow along there. Church, hear the word of the Lord. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend to my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Church, the Lord has spoken to us. Let's respond together. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. In my freshman year of college, I was sleeping in a casket. Okay, so maybe it wasn't actually a casket, but it was kind of like that. So I took my bed in my dorm room, moved the mattress underneath the frame on the floor, took all the blankets and draped them on top of the frame until they reached over, touching the floor. And then I put my pillow up underneath there on the mattress, and I would get up in there where it was pitch black, and that's where I would sleep. And I would sleep for as long as my body would allow me to sleep. Now, if that's not weird enough, the weirder thing about it was that nobody knew I was doing that. On the outside, I seemed like a healthy young minister even already at that point. The problem was a series of what I'm going to call ruptures that had taken place throughout my life. Now, by the word rupture, I mean specifically some sort of break in a relationship. And two of the most influential people in my life related to me in a very similar fashion by 
exploding in anger when I did something wrong, and then withdrawing relationally, and only repairing and reestablishing the relationship when I performed well. So, survival became a matter of trying to avoid those explosions at all costs. My life's motto was essentially this, know what they want, do what they want. In short, they wanted me to be the best, and so I got to work being the best. And it's no surprise then that when I became a Christian, and later when I sensed a calling to ministry, the deeply subconscious way that I related to these people became the same lens through which I related to God. It wasn't that I was unregenerate when I was sleeping in that casket, so to speak. It was that I was unrenewed. In a description about one of his counselees, Christian psychiatrist Kurt Thompson, might as well have been writing about me. He says this, When he had a deeply meaningful spiritual awakening, his encounter with Jesus, albeit real, was not separate from his implicitly remembered narrative. In other words, that deep subconscious story that he was living according to. Despite what his left brain heard about God's love, God loves me, I believe that, I know that concretely, his right brain had not facilitated an actual embodied experience of what love meant in real time and space. Left brain says, I believe this, I know this is true. Right brain, deep down within his story, says, I don't know. I don't know if he loves me. Yes, he felt the love of God, but the neural payload of all the years prior was not about to vanish quietly overnight. Yes, he was saved forever, sin forgiven, but that doesn't mean he was fully changed, especially from all those ruptures that he had experienced in his life. And so what this looked like for me was assuming that every time I messed up, God did what? Based on my story. Yeah, he exploded with anger and then withdrew relationally and only established the relationship back when what? I performed well. And so survival as a Christian became a matter of trying to avoid God's explosions at all costs. My motto was essentially the same as before. Know what he wants and do what he wants. In short, I thought God wanted me to be the best. So I got to work being the best. I was zealous in his mission. And as you all know, who have been zealous in following Jesus, following Jesus by design will bring about more ruptures in your life, not less. There will be breaks in relationships. Our sins and our weaknesses will be exposed. You're here on a Sunday morning exposing your heart to God's word. And it will bring about sins that you need to repent of and ways that you need to change. There are people who are not following Jesus, aren't even awake right now. Their hearts are not exposed to that. So following Jesus brings about these ruptures within us by design. And so with the lack of spiritual renewal, here's what happened in my story. It made for a young minister who on the outside was being the best but on the inside was sleeping in a casket. Now, why start a message on spiritual renewal this way, especially 
a, a New Year's Day sermon? Well, because I think it's a warning of life without spiritual renewal. And it's also because it's my, part of my story that came to mind as I reflected on John chapter 21 and Peter's story. You know the scene well. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's appeared to his disciples two different times in Jerusalem. Then he directs them to go to Galilee where he will see them there again. And we know from the scriptures that they're feeling all kinds of things in this space. Shock, fear, joy, doubt, kind of all mixed together and probably much more than those. But Peter, Peter, y'all, he's got a neural payload that no one else is carrying. Why? Well, not only was he one of Jesus' closest friends, but he also consistently took on the role of the best follower. Y'all remember what he vowed, I will go to prison and even to death with you, Jesus. Well, we know how that turned out, right? He denies that he even knows Jesus three times. And then we read these heartbreaking words in Luke chapter 22. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Oh my goodness. Man, I feel that moment when I read this. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. You know what that is? That is a series of ruptures that comes when you follow Jesus. It's a rending of the most important relationship in Peter's life. And it caused cuts so deep that even a resurrection could not make the pain of those cuts vanish quickly overnight. Peter may have been sitting on a beach in Galilee, but he might as well have been sleeping in a casket. It's not that he's unregenerate in this scene. It's that he's unrenewed. He knows the love of Jesus for him. But he has not had an actual embodied experience of that love in a way that rewrites the story. What he needs is this, spiritual renewal. Now let me define that in a simple way for us today. Spiritual renewal is the refreshment that comes from God's loving presence, that is, receiving from him first and foremost, and then the resumption of our purpose in God's loving plan, that is then us responding with giving of ourselves back to him. And we all need this. But who will we be in 2023 if we don't get it? If spiritual renewal is not a way of life for us? Well, here's who I think Peter would have been. First, a man out of touch with himself. We begin reading in verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now there is some debate about how much we should read into the disciples' actions here. Were they just hungry while they waited, or were they retreating back to their old vocation altogether? We don't know exactly. But the theologian J.I. Packer notes 
that all of us have a tendency when we face difficulties in life, especially a sense of failure, to gravitate back toward things in which we feel competent. So if you would be willing to risk it today by calling it out when you are feeling like a failure, what do you gravitate back toward? Anybody? When you are feeling like a failure, what do you gravitate back toward? Something you feel competent in. So for me, I like I'll go shoot basketball because I know what to do with the basketball. Anybody? Okay. There you go. I get oh, real. Somebody's resonating with that. All right. Busy as a bee, broken on the inside, organizing on the outside. Somebody else. Oh, yes. Feels good to be able to get that under control. Be competent. I accomplished something. All right. Well, you get the sense. What would that be? What would a group of fishermen who had followed Jesus gravitate back toward when they felt like a bunch of failures? Yeah, that's what they're doing here. And we might surmise that for these guys just sitting around waiting for Jesus to appear was an anxious place to be. Like, they're already drinking the cocktail of, like, shock, fear, joy, doubt that we mentioned earlier. But for Peter, it's far greater because of these ruptures that we've mentioned. And anxiety is probably doing in him what anxiety always does. It causes the heart rate to increase. It causes breathing to shallow and quicken. It causes non-essential bodily functions to slow down. And, in, and it does all that in a subconscious way that probably doesn't even allow you to pinpoint the source of why you're feeling like that. Why can't I sleep tonight? Why is my stomach continuing to hurt? And with no phone to distract him, you can imagine why Peter would suddenly be like, forget this, man, I'm just going fishing. Okay? And this is how we often respond to that churn within us, like not by listening to it and being curious about it, but by distracting ourselves away from it. We gravitate towards something in which we feel competent. And so why do we do that, though? Let's be curious and ask. Well, because we are trying to soothe ourselves, to calm ourselves down. We like to think that we're way beyond being like a baby. But God created us in some ways to never get past being deeply attuned to our own needs. This is why David can write this with great wisdom in Psalm 131. He says, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. That's very baby-like for a mature believer. Listen, I have a four-month-old at home. And when she needs something, do y'all think that she will let us know? Absolutely. And when she does, do you think that we can just, like, talk her out of being upset? Calm down. Calm down. Calm down. I'm going to yell at a baby to calm down. No, that's not going to work either. We have to be curious about her needs, and then we have to meet them in order to soothe her and calm her down. If we ignore those needs, it will leave cuts on her soul that are so deep that they won't vanish, vanish quickly overnight in her life. And so this is the danger that Peter faces without spiritual renewal. 
all that he's feeling comes from a soul that's crying out that it needs something. He's experiencing a break in the relationship that we often fail to consider. What is that relationship? It's Peter's relationship with himself. How can he become attuned to his needs once again? Now, something a mentor has spoken into my life that's been very meaningful as an answer to this question of how do we get reattuned to when we're so disconnected from what we even need deeply? It says this, Emotions are the gateway to the soul, and silence exposes the soul. Emotions, man, they don't define reality, okay? But they do point us to otherwise mysterious depths within ourselves. Most of us don't need help realizing when we're feeling emotion, we just feel it. But if when we feel it, we allow ourselves to be still and silent and curious and inquire about what it's pointing to, then something will be exposed deep underneath those emotions. You know what it will be? The soul. That within us which we are often so disconnected from. And who is the loving parent who is infinitely curious about the needs of the soul and longs to soothe them? Your heavenly Father. And look at how Jesus embodies this in verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, what? Children. Do you see in him a loving parent who wants to draw out your deepest needs and meet them? Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Peter heard that, it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. You see here, Jesus has all that they need in himself. But Peter, as he has become known for throughout the Gospels, he goes for the dramatic, right? And he throws himself into the sea. Now the image that comes to mind here is from the greatest movie that was ever made, Forrest Gump, when he sees Lieutenant Dan, and he totally just bails out of the boat and into the sea to swim over to him, which later you see, you know, the boat crashes into the dock, and he's like, that's my boat, you know? <laughs> like, that's, that's Peter here. Um, but why does he do that? Let's be curious about this. Why does he do that? I think based on the context that Peter's trying to express his love for Jesus, And that he loves him as the very best follower. If you love me more than these, Jesus will say later. Peter's like, I'm showing you. I love you more than anybody. None of them jumped out of the boat, but I did. And that's good, right? So like, it's better than where Judas threw himself, right? (laughs) The problem with it is, Peter is really out of touch with himself. 
And he's failing to realize that this is actually just another way of him soothing himself instead of coming to Jesus to let him provide what he needs most. Peter, could, we could hear him saying almost, if I beat the rest of the guys to the shore, then like Jesus will know that I love him the most and everything will be okay. You might even hear yourself saying today, or this week, or this month, if I just stick with my plans for the year, if I just get better at my daily devotionals, at my Bible reading plan, at being at family group, at going to church, at filling the blank, whatever it is, then Jesus will know that I love him, and everything will be okay this year. And here again is the danger for us and for Peter without spiritual renewal. It narrows our relationship with God to a motto that says, know what he wants, do what he wants. There's the formula. Now, you could probably sell a lot of Christian t-shirts with a motto like that. Raise a lot of money for missions. And you could also leave a lot of people like Peter is on the beach right here. You know what Peter is like on the beach right here? He's wet. He's cold. He's tired. He's about 100 yards away from everyone else in his life. And he's actually not any closer to Jesus at the end of the day. Why? Well, let me explain it with the analogy of an iceberg. We are, we are usually most attentive in our lives to two things on the surface of the iceberg. That is the explicit self. How we behave and what we believe. So cognition, volition. Know the right thing, do the right thing. And what we are must much less attentive to and sometimes completely unaware of is what's underneath the surface or the implicit self. These are things like your personality, how God has uniquely wired you to perceive, process, and project yourself to the world, which, by the way, is different from how other people. We're not all the same in that regard. Or your family of origin. This is the lasting influence of parents, siblings, and relatives. Or your life circumstances, experiences that have shaped you, especially traumatic ones. Your learned level of intimacy, that is, your fear of rejection based on your experiences and observations of others. Your attachment patterns, how you relate to others based on your primary caregiver's reliability as a source of comfort and security or lack thereof. Your defense mechanisms, that is, your refuges and methods of self-soothing. Perhaps a simpler way, then, to summarize these things under the surface is with one word. Story. It's your story. And what is constantly at play in every sphere of our lives, even after we become Christians, is our story. Here in John 21, as an unrenewed man... Peter is focused only on the surface of the iceberg. Jesus wants me to love him. There's cognition. Know the right thing. So I will love him more than anyone else loves him. There's volition. Do the right thing. Which confoundingly is what actually keeps him distracted from the deeper work of renewal that Jesus wants to bring to him in this situation. His giving is limiting him from his receiving. And look at this in verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. 
So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Here we see Jesus knows exactly what they need and that he has it all within himself. And here's the thing. He is willing to give it, glad to give it. And notice here, it's Jesus' attention to the needs of the body that actually exposes the longings of the soul. He doesn't come over here and just say, I am Jesus, I have all you need. I don't care that you are hungry. Sit beside me on the beach and let me teach you. No, he's like, get over here, man, some fish and some bread. Y'all cold and hungry and scared. Get over here, let's eat. He reattunes them, he puts them back in touch with their deepest needs. And he does it by spreading a meal. There's our Jesus. And what a tragic thought that Peter could have been left as a man out of touch with himself, always striving to prove his love. And yet if Jesus had not come to renew him, Peter would also have been a man out of touch with his Savior. According to the passage, following the section that we just read, we get the sense, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, that Jesus and Peter kind of go away from the rest of the disciples. I picture them walking maybe down the beach together. So frame that visually in your mind as you hear these words. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, you love me more than these. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, you love me. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. So this has historically been referred to as the restoration of Peter. And isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't just restore Peter by saying, like, I forgive you, dude. I know you messed up big time. It's okay. No big deal. Instead, Jesus, he makes this threefold question and answer about Peter's love for Jesus. And of course, this corresponds to the threefold, like, question and answer from Peter's denial of Jesus. And that's really beautiful, not to mention symmetrically pleasing. But I think that there's more here than just geometry. Look at it from the negative first. Who would Peter have been if Jesus hadn't done this? Would he have still been indwelled with the Holy Spirit and preached the first sermon and shepherded the early church sheep? Yeah, I think, I think he would have. But I think the rupture would have kept him out of touch with his Savior on some nagging level. Shame that would have overclouded him at all times. And I think it would have left a part of his story unredeemed. 
Jesus comes after it. He doesn't leave it unredeemed. Instead, Jesus asks Peter questions. Questions that draw the specific rupture to the surface. He says, do you love me more than these? That is the soul exposed. And that's what Jesus does when we take a silent walk with him. When we have enough space with him to hear what he's saying. Peter would never have experienced so dramatic a series of ruptures if he did not step out to follow Jesus. You notice that? (coughs) If Peter had never followed after Jesus, like he wouldn't have had to go through this. But at the same time, he also would have never experienced so dramatic a series of repairs. Consider this. Even though there is pain in Jesus' questions, Peter gets to verbalize his love to Jesus three times. Like, that's important, right? That that means something. It's not just up in his head where we often live as Christians so much. No, it comes out of his mouth. He gets to speak. You know I love you, Jesus. And he gets to receive three means of repair from Jesus. Three times Jesus is like, shepherd my sheep, pastor my people, lead my flock. Notice that both of those things, affirming, verbalizing his love for Jesus, and then going to shepherd Jesus' sheep, both those things aren't just talking baby Peter out of crying. They're more than cognitive. To verbalize and to shepherd both involve the body. Consider this. As Peter loves and shepherds people, along with the ruptures that are going to come from that, What will he be constantly invited to remember? That he is love and that he is shepherding. Jesus has given him a responsibility here, yes. But along with it, a means for his story to be redeemed. And he'll need this. Because as Jesus continues in verse 18, Truly, truly, I say to you, Peter, When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. See, Peter would not need... I'm sorry, he would need spiritual renewal, not as a one-time thing, but as a way of life, because there would be many more ruptures and repairs coming his way. As part of his renewal, as part of his sanctification, as part of his being conformed fully to the image of Christ, he would go on to suffer and eventually be crucified upside down. Such is the nature of following Jesus. If you choose to continue following Jesus or you choose today to follow Jesus for the first time, it's a small chance that you're going to be crucified upside down. But it's a guaranteed reality that you are going to experience crucifixion day by day. Little bitty ones that cause you to die to yourself. Ruptures that will need to be repaired. Over this past week, I usually take time and reflect on the past year. And as I do that very honestly, I reflect on a lot of things that were pretty painful over the last year. 
that if I wasn't in pastoral ministry, I wouldn't have had to deal with. And I, I was looking at Lord like, what have I done to make you mad? What is going on in my life that so many hard things took place in this past year? Are you trying to get my attention about something? <laughs> and he just, brought my, he just brought me right back to his word and showed me example after example of like, like to follow Jesus is death, resurrection, death, resurrection, death, resurrection. And my conclusion was four words. This is the way. Like following Jesus is called to die to yourself face ruptures and to experience deeper repairs than you ever would have okay this is the way therefore we must have spiritual renewal the same is true for you going into 2023 like even though you don't know exactly what's coming your way this year jesus is saying to you like he said to peter i love you follow me don't worry about all those things follow me which guarantees this, that there are going to be ruptures and repairs coming this year. If you're seeking to be a parent who follows Jesus this year, then there are going to be moments of rupture between you and your child. Both ways. And they're going to need to be repaired in a way that only Christ can repair. If you're seeking to be a spouse who follows Jesus in 2023, there's going to be ruptures that will need repair. If you're seeking to be an employee or an employer who follows Jesus, you know the drill. What's going to go down this year? If you're seeking to be a church member who follows Jesus, there are ways that the church is going to let you down and you're going to let down the church. There's going to be ruptures. That's the risk that we take to enter into relationship with one another. But then there'll be repairs. If you're seeking to be an American or a human, <laughs> you know, who follows Jesus, there's going to be ruptures this year that you uniquely will bear because you're following Jesus. And yet there can be repair. And what you'll need in order to have it is spiritual renewal. The refreshment that comes from God's loving presence and then the resumption of your purpose in God's loving plan. Let me urge you today, don't be the person who just focuses on the surface of the iceberg, who lives by the motto, know what God wants, do what God wants, I'm good, I don't need to worry about my story, I don't need to pay attention to why I keep doing the things that I do that aren't healthy or good, I know what God wants and I'm doing what God wants, slap a Bible verse on me and I'll just keep going, I'm okay, I'll just cope with things that are still undone that are affecting me to this day, but I'm in denial about, or I'm hiding. Don't be a person who on the outside looks like one of the best followers of Jesus, but on the inside is sleeping in a casket. Don't settle for that. Why? Because Jesus didn't just die to redeem what's on the surface. He bought the whole iceberg with his blood, and he aims to redeem every part of it. Like he is not satisfied to come after what's on the surface. He is coming after every part of your story that is not yet redeemed, that is not yet conquered by his love and healed until the day you see him face to face. Our sin and the sins against us are the greatest ruptures. But Jesus alone offers the greatest repair. 
Jesus knew what God wanted, and he did what God wanted. He like lived out that motto and formula to a T, and he achieved it through renewal as a way of life. You always see him going away to be with his Father, to be renewed and refreshed. The bread that I eat is every word that comes out of the mouth of God. That was Jesus' life lived out perfectly. And then he lays it down as a sacrifice for you who could not live up to that motto and could not live up to that kind of renewal. And then he rises from the grave having conquered our sins against God and against one another. Having power over the ruptures. And then the willingness to give it to anyone who by faith would receive it and turn away from trying to have it all together. But it would look to him and say, you're the only one who had it together. You laid it down for me and you freely give it by grace. That's what he offers today. That's what I'm talking about when it comes to repair. He will raise you from the dead and set you on the same path as himself, rewriting your entire story. Shame will gnaw you into a casket. And the gospel will make you rise from it. And then we'll keep you rising from it. That's what renewal is. Why it's not just a one-time thing. The gospel teaches us that Jesus looked toward Peter when he denied him that third time. We see it in our minds as Jesus looking at Jesus with this piercing look of shame. You let me down, Peter. You are the worst, Peter. But I think according to my gospel, that look, though it was so full of pain, was more so characterized by compassion. And that's the way he's looking at you in the places in your life where there is sin and darkness and rupture that he wants to heal. And what will become of you? What could you be like in 2023 as a person who is experiencing renewal day by day, week by week, month by month, quarter by quarter? Well, here's what it looked like for Peter. You know the story in Acts chapter 12 where he gets arrested by Herod. He's probably about to be executed like James just was. And instead of freaking out as a ball of anxiety, we read this. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. That is a heart that has been put at peace. A body, a soul that's been soothed by the love and repair of the gospel. And so, could that vision be the same for you this year? What if spiritual renewal was a, lay, was a way of life for you this year? What if, as much as you keep coming back and plugging in your phone, you keep coming back and plugging into Jesus? You just keep, he just keeps drawing you back to himself. Hey, your battery, 10%. Okay, you're ignoring it. Battery's at zero. What you gonna do? Come on back. I'm right here with a look of compassion for you, not shame. You get shame everywhere else and from within you, but you're not going to get shame from me. Come on. I died to put shame to death. And so what do I mean by this specifically? It can be, you know, motivating, but then also like hard to understand what exactly this looks like to go out and do this. Let me give you three things. Spiritual renewal as a way of life this year, I want to encourage you to consider three things. One, embrace rhythms that slow you down. I will meet with people who are a mess 
like we've described and seen in Peter here, we're no different from these heroes and heroines of the Bible. And I will say to them, not, you need to read your Bible more. Get out of my face. I'll say, bro, you need to take a walk. Okay, once a week, put it on your calendar to go outside and be in God's creation and just be quiet. And just let whatever comes up, come up to your Father. Take it to your Father. I want to encourage you. Embrace rhythms that slow you down. One of the most powerful things that you could do in the midst of all the resolutions and plans that are coming your way or you're supposed to do or whatever right now is this. Take time this afternoon and go to your phone or your, wherever you keep a calendar and make note of what you could do one thing every week, one thing every month, one thing every quarter in order to slow yourself down. I'm going to go out once a month. I'm going to get away for a day. Once a week, I'm going to take a walk. I'm just going to be. I'm going to see what comes to the surface. I'm going to be curious about the emotions that come up. And I'm going to ask questions about what's underneath them. I'm going to see how Jesus repairs. Embrace rhythms that slow you down. Second, Give regular attention to your embodied soul. All right? We're not that different from babies. We want to be, but we're still humans who need soothing. So this year, get your Christian life up out of your head and back into your body. God created you with this body that he one day is going to resurrect and you're going to live with forever in its redeemed state fully. Like, give attention and honor to this great, amazing gift that God has given you. And when your body is telling you that something is broken, don't slap a Bible verse on it and increase the shame as to why you should just not be feeling that way, body. No, I can't sleep at night. What is going on in my soul? My body is broken. My soul is bound up with it. Be curious about that and explore it. Give care and attention to your embodied soul. And then thirdly, Seek, along with Jesus, the redemption of your story. Don't be satisfied with the surface, but be curious and explore the things that may still be broken and ruptured from your story. And invite Jesus to bring healing into that. Later this year, we're going to try to do a, a, a class or a journey, I don't know, where we specifically walk with people through their story and help them to care for one another in the midst of God rewriting the narrative there so three things i hope those can help you and a weekly thing that you don't have to put on your calendar because it's provided here for you is this it's this table where he reattunes us every week he puts us back in touch with our deepest need he refreshes us in his loving presence and he helps us to resume our place in his loving plan all by spreading a meal on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he took a cup of wine, and after blessing it, he gave it to his disciples. He said, this marks the new covenant and the shedding of my blood. And as often as you eat this bread... And you drink from this cup. You're announcing the Lord's death until he returns. Today we are announcing that Jesus Christ bought all of our story. And he aims to redeem every part of it. 
our invitation this morning on behalf of Jesus himself. If you're a baptized believer, whether or not you're a member of this church, is to come forward responding to the person of Jesus and what he has worked in your heart. If there is a rupture that he has revealed that needs repair, listen. You don't have to come immediately and shuffle up to the front. You can come later if you need to, right? Let Jesus bring repair this morning in whatever way that he desires to do that. If you're here today and you're not a believer, you're not a follower of Jesus, instead of coming to this table, we would invite you to come to Jesus himself. He is fully available to you, not through any ritual, not through anything that you would do to get his attention, but simply by turning away from your old life and looking to him to give you a new life. And he will. He will. For anyone who has any need, there'll be people in the back to pray with you. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you. Lord, I am mindful of the words of David from Psalm 131. I imagine that he, as he lived his life full of ruptures, his sins against you and against others, and others' sins against him, he became a man who was well acquainted with his need for spiritual renewal. And thus your work in that, through your repairs, brought him to a place where he could humbly see himself like a baby, in need of being soothed in your loving arms. Lord, you know your people today, you know what they carry in from last year, the things that weigh heavy on them going into a new year. The ruptures that are written in their story that you so eagerly, so patiently desire to repair. Would you start that journey even this morning? And would you make it something that in this new year could be a constant recharging, a constant reconnection back to you Lord, that they might be able to pray, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great or too marvelous for me. Lord, let your people be able to pray this year, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. And may they hope in you from this time forth and forevermore. Amen.